Thanks for staying tuned in to Pink Noise. I'm your host, Sherry Hauser. And some exciting news now that we've reached the milestone of 10 episodes. All Pink Noise radio shows are now streaming on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So look for those links and you can access any of our previous shows in case you missed the Sunday morning broadcast with Cindy Ann on Cafe Racer Radio. And I'm so grateful to friends like Cheryl Smith who tell me they tune in every week, either live or catch the replay links that are posted on Facebook. And I realize that what I long for is a two-way dialogue about the content of this program to know more about how it's impacted you and what topics inspire you most. So for this reason, I'm launching a new group on Facebook. It's going to be called Mine and Shine, the Gold Within. And I invite you to join me there to have conversations about all of the topics that we cover and ones that we don't and you wish that we would. I'd love to hear from you and I'll put a link in to that group in the show notes. So please look for it and join me in conversation. Today is the 11th episode, and as always, I'm excited about my guest. We've never met in real life, and yet I have deep reverence for his work and how he shows up in the world. Laurel Waters introduced us after speaking on the stage at Love Church. That was my 2019 project that was hosted at Cafe Racer in Seattle. One of the things I love about Leaf is he believes something I've only recently learned. And that is that life is a game, and you decide how to play the rules. Lee Hansen is the founder of Spark Interaction, a keynote speaker, workshop facilitator, and professional coach. His jam is leading individuals and groups on game-changing journeys. And we're going to dive in to what's behind his latest project, Spark Life Collective. Hi, Leaf. So glad that you joined me today. Hello, Sherry. So glad to be here. And all the way from Hawaii now. Yes, it is a gorgeous, unusually gorgeous day on the Hilo side of the big island. We had a bunch of rain. And um, as you know, I've had some uh, connectivity issues. And so now I'm glad that we got it figured out here from inside of the van of my car over my cell network. (laughs) I'm grateful for your flexibility there, so we didn't have any more audio cutouts. Because it, uh, oh, it, uh, 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 stuff. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't want to miss a single word. Yay! I enjoyed the conversation so far too. Looking forward to round two. Yes, round two, and you're here because, as you say, you love to geek out on helping people live more purposeful, alive and meaningful lives. And you do that through so many different modalities and all the different ways that you interact with humans and your coaching practice and something brand new that you've just launched. And I want to talk about it. I want to talk about the Spark Life Collective. I would be happy to talk about it. Yes, it's the newest project. Uh, You know, it's sort of the COVID-friendly project in that it's sort of a gathering space. It feels to me like a mixture of a social and business networking side, professional development side, a co-working space, 
and just sort of a place, kind of an academy. So the courses that I do, which range from group coaching programs to play formation, applied improvisation-based programs. Um, there's even some, you know, book studies, things that can happen virtually. It's sort of the collection place for that. And also uh, a way for people to get away from big social media that's so distracting and manipulative and advertisement driven and just kind of be around. A, uh, in this case, actually, I would call it a, a goal centered group of people. The site really focuses on five goals. I was like, what am I going to make? What is, what is this? What's the aboutness, you know? And the aboutness is for people who are attracted to and aligned with meaningful work, enriching relationships, courageous creativity, deep well-being, and lifelong learning. There is a little bit of a niche for people who I would call um, social change agents, creative catalysts, you know, so I am drawing in people who are teachers, facilitators, coaches, people who work with people, but it's really open to anyone who resonates with those goals and, uh, and wants to, you know, do some networking and come to these classes and events and such. So it's pretty cool. Just launching it, I think last week was my kind of soft launch and kind of gearing up to a more official launch in January. And I, for one, am excited to be a part of it. Yay! When, when you talk about it and I, and I read more about it, each one of those five categories I, I have a sense of aliveness around and my, my work right now is so centered around the meaning behind that Howard Thurman quote, don't ask yourself what the world needs, ask yourself mm -hmm. what makes you come alive and then go do it because the world yeah. needs more people who have come alive. Yes. That, that's what I see in you. That's, that's why I was, I was so excited to have you say yes to being in this conversation with me and exploring enriching relationships and being creative courageously. Mm. And so of Thank that you. topics, which one do you want to unpack first? Um, well, I would say that meaningful work is the one that I'm most juiced up about, um, partly because I feel really proud about the work that the business that I've created over the last 12, 13 years, it feels very meaningful to me and has supported a lifestyle that's, that I really get to enjoy. And I love, love, love helping other people to identify what kind of work is meaningful to them or to make their existing work more meaningful. And it pains my heart. You know, I think part of a process when I work with people and I'm coaching them, it's like, what mission are you called to in the world? Will you pay attention to what, what moves you to compassion? What kind of bugs you or hurts you to hear about? And when I hear people say things like, oh, it's Monday, you know, I've got to go to work or thank God it's Friday and kind of postponing living their life till they retire or just the weekends. I'm like, it doesn't, it's ridiculous. We get to exist. We get to be in these bodies. We get to live. Why would we spend 40 to 80 hours of every week doing something that we don't believe in or enjoy. It's insane. It's absolute. It literally is close to the definition of insanity. You know, so we're part of this system. And I also do want to call out that there is some privilege privileges that I have grown up with to even be able to say that there are some people out there that are like, well, yeah, fuck you and your and your meaningful life stuff and creating your dreams. You know, like I just have to 
you know, take whatever job I can get to pay for my five kids in this depressed economy. I totally get that. Um, it's sort of a both and. It's uh, when I do coaching, I'll say to people, my job is to be 100% compassionate and patient with you. And in, in seeing that we are victims, we're 100% a victim and we're 100% responsible at the same time. It's a weird paradox. And the responsibility is like, okay, so yes, those genetics, this culture, this capitalist, you know, patriarchal system that we grew up in. Yet, now what? What are you going to do? Are you going to do the work inside? Are you going to reach out to other people for support? Are you going to, you know, so, and those are the things that we can do. And to do that, uh, I'll get all, <laughs> I'm all stirred up right now. So I'll get off this pedestal in a second. But uh, that's the meaningful part. Like what is meaningful to you? And that's the exciting and tricky thing because it involves a really courageous act. You know, the word courage comes from the French word cour, heart. And it's a courageous act to listen to your heart, to be vulnerable, to be honest, to be brave, and to name what makes you come alive and what do you want to be doing in the world? What do you want to challenge or heal or contribute or create? And, um, and when we do that, we are plurking it, play, learn, work. And so when I work with people, I talk about the, my process is play formation, transformation through play. And that doesn't mean like, la, 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 it can. It just means having a playful mindset, an open, adaptive, improvisational, creative mindset. And um, that's the kind of mindset, whether you're in a team in a corporate culture and you're bringing it, making it more meaningful and playful, or you're starting your own business, it's, it's the process that you're going to want to go through. There is a definition about play and work and the difference that you shared with me earlier. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd, love, I'd love to hear it again. Sure thing. Yeah. So it bugged me. It has bugged me a long time that we have this duality and it's not so much just that everybody else has it. I struggle with it too. It's like, why do some things I use the word work and then sometimes I'm like, this is play. I don't think it has to be that duality. And I feel like I came to a definition that really works for me. And it's super simple. Work is what is the word we use when we're focused on the end of a process and we don't really think that we're enjoying or care about enjoying the process. It's the like, I do, I cut the lawn. So it's, you know, so that I can have a clean lawn. Right. All right. Um, I go do this job. I don't really believe in it, but I want the money. So I do, we call it work and play. We mean I enjoy the process, but I don't really care what comes out of this. I'm just happy to do the process. But the reality is if you combine the two, why not, why not enjoy the process and the end? In matter of fact, you're probably going to produce a much more creative, interesting process and team culture if you bring play and relational creativity into your workplace. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm seeing is, is courageous creativity is one of the five pillars. And when you mm -hmm. start weaving that into meaningful work, you can get this different outcome. Yes. So, so let's imagine you're a person who is doing a job right now and it's work and there's an outcome that they desire and that's, mm -hmm. why, they're, that's why they're doing it. And they have a playful creative spirit. Then like what's the path 
to move them away from the thing they call work and into a state of more fulfillment. So the person who you've met, who says the things like, oh gosh, it's Monday morning. Oh, yep. Yep. What's, what's the first step? What's, what's, what are some of the beginning things that, that you advise? That's a really great question. I would say that the, um, the process, so I'm just by coincidence, just yesterday, I ended the first leg of a three leg group coaching program. And, um, in that first journey, so it goes inner game. We're looking at the inner game because all of this is ultimately a game. Another word for that I like to use is Leela, which is a Sanskrit word for divine play. This is sort of like we're in a play and the rules are not fixed. You know, this is all stuff that we've kind of made up. And so the first process, the inner game of what is looking at your relationship to, uh, you're going to see a, a pattern of alliteration of M's here. This is the, mm, the tastiness that you're looking for is your relationship to mystery. What we don't know, you know, the weirdness of existence. How are you with that? Your uh, meaning, what's meaningful to you. So a lot of values clarification, getting to the core values, the virtues, the ways of being, the activities, things that are juicy to you. Um, marriage to self is the other M of like a really rich, committed relationship to yourself. That's something I've been putting a lot of attention to for myself the last couple of years as I left a marriage of 25 years. And then um, mission is sort of where the me starts to move into the we, your relationship to service to the we of the world. And so we just sort of wrapped that up. So I would say the same thing for someone who's in the position you said of like, okay, I want to shift this. I would say, okay, first you're going to have to get into the really big sticky thing of like, why, why do you think this whole weird thing is going on? Like spend a little time on, you know, whether you want to call it transpersonal psychology or spirituality or existentialism, but like, what do you think this life and game is about? What do you find most meaningful? What do you want to really add into your life? Does your workplace currently allow for that? How much of that? What's your relationship to yourself? Do you, are you critical of yourself constantly? Would you want to be married to you? Do, you? do you like yourself? If that part of you that's connected to you were to be an external person and you had to listen to them all day long, would you love that person? And if not, how can you heal and enrich that relationship? And then mission, what moves your heart to compassion? What helps you to want to be of service in the world? Like I was saying, well, I want to help people have more meaningful work. So that would be some of the first steps. And then you kind of move into another M of magic. This is where we're going next with this group. The outer game of what, what magic do you want to bring to the world? What, how to manifest it? How do you market or promote it? What's your relationship to money? A lot of people just have never examined that. And I was one of them and, and they have a toxic relationship that, you know, it's a funny thing. Like I want more money, but I actually think that people with money are bad and selfish. And, and it's like, we have all these critical things that we're like, and you're trying to attract money. If money was a person, what would you, who would that person be? And what would your relationship to that person be? And then the last M is momentum. How do you build momentum with the magic that you're bringing in the world? There's so much I want to talk about in what you just said. I don't even know where to start. Except that money piece is just so alive for me right now. I actually had a morning conference this today uh, with 
a woman that's doing the um, uh, authentic leadership program. Mm. And she's someone that I've been working with in that group. And she has a series of law degrees and has run successful businesses. And I see her with, with, uh, I have a lot of respect for her professional acumen. And I come from a place of negotiating and uh, supporting artists, getting paid what they're worth. And I've got this really rich history of getting out my pom-poms and cheerleading in service of other people and their success. Mm. And when it comes to valuing my own time as, as someone who is no longer offering marketing strategy and business development tips, but instead I'm a personal cheerleader for hire. And in that capacity being paid for my time, I've made money the enemy. Mm, yep. And I know I have some work to do around it. Yeah. It's there's not great, comfortable. There's a couple really good. I mean, I'd be happy to talk with you about that personally, but there's a couple of great books I could recommend to you and your listeners around money. Um, one is by Lynn Twist called The Soul of Money. And it really helps. Uh, we, another false duality we have is between kind of money and, and spirit or soul, right? It really helps see the potential energetic, loving, beautiful quality of what money can be. Uh, she's a fascinating person because she's, you know, knows people from billionaires to, you know, at one time Mother Teresa. And like, you know, so she's, she's really kind of seen the whole spectrum. Um, another one that's got, a, I think it's sort of an embarrassing title, but I actually love her style as an, and an audiobook is great. It's called You Are a Badass at Making Money. I can't remember the author's name. And then one that I'm doing a book study with um, for people who are on the Spark Life Collective site um, in January is called Money, A Love Story. And uh, so I think any of these ones that really help you to look at your relationship to money, your narrative, how you grew up with it, your prejudices, your fears, and really start to heal that, man, big priority for those of us, particularly who are trying to do our own business. Yeah. Thank you. I'm already in um, two leadership groups where I'm the position I'm in of mentor, there's uh, the course leader who's doling out book reading assignments. Uh, I'm backed up three months. Oh gosh. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to be able to take on any more book studies for the next uh, quarter, but Maybe I, your listeners might enjoy it. Who knows? They will. <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll happily queue it up for, you know, next. Yeah. Spring. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that. Um, when you talked about, your M words, and one of them being marriage in marriage to self. Anyone that follows me in my stories know that I left a marriage of 22 years and have oh, been wow. in the process of unraveling for the last four years mm. um, what my role was in the dysfunction and a process of relearning who I am and self-acceptance and self-love. Yeah. And that's, that's just mission critical, mission yep. critical before anyone else can love you. Yep. The way that you want to be loved. You have to love yourself the way that you want others to love you. Totally. And I feel really delighted by anyone that's working with you, Leaf, that mm. that, that is a part of your curriculum. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it feels like it's the sweetest, most important foundational piece. You know, it's, I call it the golden mirror. Because, you know, we, we talk about the golden rule, 
love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the golden mirror is that, that as yourself part, you know, so are you, you know, what is, if you're looking into a golden mirror, um, and I actually have a practice in one of the Leela cards that I kickstarted a few years ago and you just, yeah, you just look at yourself in the mirror, kind of get past the normal way we look at ourselves, which is, you know, on the outside, but instead you're moving towards, you know, talk about authentic relating. You're moving towards an authentic relating to yourself, kind of like you would look at a lover uh, where you could check in with each other in your eyes and you can kind of sense like, is there something that's not at peace between us? And if you can get into that, a lot of people, this is really hard. They're like, I don't want to freaking look at myself. You know, it's like, I don't like that person or this is stupid or, you know, like all different kinds of defense mechanisms come up. But if you can kind of breathe into it and just be there, you know, and then have a really honest conversation and it might be, Hey, I'm kind of disappointed in you. I'm disappointed in life or I'm hurt or I'm angry or I love you. Thank you. I'm sorry. I forgive you. You know, it's, it's, there's some prompts that really help, but, um, and by the way, I'm happy to, uh, put a link on your podcast for your listeners if they want to download a free copy of these um, 26 different Leela cards. They're sort of playful practices for creative spirituality or just kind of connecting to yourself. What a gift. Thank you. Sure. I remember reading a post that you shared. I'm going to say in the last year, but I, I can't pinpoint it any more than that, but it was some many, many months ago. And it sounds like it was part of this practice of looking at yourself in the mirror and asking some questions. And I remember writing down a series of prompts in my journal after finding that post. Hmm. And, and I'm sort of sad that I didn't go back and find it before this call. But I also hmm. almost didn't even remember it until you, you brought uh, up. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, no, yeah, I, have, I have a memory of, of seeing your post. Mm. feeling into it and going, Ooh, I, I want that. I, I want to practice that. Mm. And thank I, you so much for sharing that. That yeah. makes me feel really good. It's, it's, you know, sometimes, you know, put stuff out there in the world and social media and like, you don't know if anyone like really cares or is impact, even if, you know, whatever likes or comments, like to know, sometimes you'll hear from someone like who does, who's like a lurker. This usually happens with guys. This is really interesting. I'll, I'll just say a quick little thing here. A lot of the sort of more guyish guy friends of mine, like when I go and play pickup soccer, I'll have a guy come up and like, by the way, you know, just want you to know, even though I don't kind of comment on their thing, I'm, I really like what you said yesterday. And it's like, like they don't want to like, they, it's hard for them to like open up and admit that. Yeah. So anyways, thank you for sharing that. I'm glad that it inspired something in you. Mm. Um, I'm curious about what you just said now, and I kind of want to dig into that. So what is it that you think, what's in the way of men um, allowing themselves to be publicly soft-hearted or mm. emotionally oh my God. exposed? That's a huge one. There's a really great movie uh, that I think is now possibly free called, I think it's The Mask You Wear, that looks at what about the toxic masculine issue and how it came to be. And what they talk about is, I think that that it kind of started is a little bit sort of a post World War II, like like men went away from home, so a lot of father figures were missing, or 
they went to kind of the corporate world and that whole sort of uh, office dads away from home thing happened. So there wasn't really much relating. There was just the missing father. And, and these were not happy dads coming back at the end of the day, you know? And so, so I think I'm not going to pretend to know that whole sociological, you know, historical flow of what happened. But, you know, I think it's pretty obvious to most of us that we live in this, it's getting better. Thank God. Look at the generations now with, you know, they're just so much more open-minded and they're, they're built in, you know, talking about gender fluidity. Like, like, like they, they're, they're, they've run way past most of us, but for those of us that are kind of 30 and beyond, I'd say um, there still is that remnant, you know, for myself, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a really hard example. So I went to a boarding school for a couple of years and one of the years I walked into my room, my room, one only shared with one other guy. And there were eight to 10 guys standing around in the room waiting for me. And one of them came up and pushed me up against the wall. And he said, Leaf, I want you to hit me so bad so I can hit you back. And I'm like, what's going on? And I'd like, this totally took me by surprise. It's like, you're, you're too soft. You know, you, tr- you cry too easy or, you know, you show your emotion. I don't remember the exact words, but the essence of it was that I had too much of this sort of softness or what could be described as sort of a feminine quality. And there was so much uh, homophobia, so much, I think, probably misogyny and homophobia for our generations that if you even had a whiff of some quality of that, even if you were a straight person like myself, um, you didn't want to be associated. And there was some kind of fear of like, you got to put that guy in their place. Sadly, I didn't hit him. <laughs> I wish I did. Well, what I really wish it was that I had the EQ, the, you know, the emotional maturity to be like, Hey, what's going on? Let's talk about this. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to back down and not be me, but you know, whatever, uh, there's no way I would have done as a 15 year old but at least I could have hit him and like found something. I don't know. But instead it felt to me like that was a moment that I both surrendered my, uh, my masculine and feminine side. I didn't sort of have that energetic masculine initiatory standing up for myself. And I didn't defend the feminine side of myself. I didn't say like, actually this, you know, I was kind of like, Oh, I'll stop, you know, being however you don't want me to be. And I think that is a story. I have heard that from dozens, if not hundreds of men. So I think there's still some of that fear of being soft from homophobia and things like that. But I think it's also now there's so much crustified emotion and repressed emotion that now it's also just like, if I go there, I will break, you know, all that I've created, the job that I don't like that I've toughened up and I'm just going to go to work and, you know, be a man um, that could fall down the merit, like, like, it's just a fear. If I open up to that side of myself, bad things will happen. I'm noticing how much I appreciation I have for you being willing to go to that place and sort of address that tough question. That's definitely bigger than both of us, mm. you know, and it's, and it's generational, you know, part of our ancestors stories, right. That goes back centuries why the gender roles are the way they are. Yes. Something you touched on that feels universal that really impacted me was when you shared how you responded 
to the situation and you said, oh, I'll just stop being the me. way you don't want me to be. Yeah. And I think, and immediately I'm remembering situations where that was my answer. You know, mm-hmm. that was my answer to being confronted. So, you know, I made my ex-partner angry. And so my job was to say, I'm sorry, I'll stop being that person that makes you angry. I'll yeah. stop doing that thing that makes you uncomfortable. Yes. And, and, but I didn't change because it was me. <laughs> and, and I didn't have the emotional intelligence to state my feelings. I, I, I pushed them down. I suppressed right. my feelings. If I could have communicated um, what was actually going on for me in my body or in my yeah. self, mm-hmm. yes. then, then maybe you know, I wouldn't have reacted in a way that would trigger anger. Yeah. But, it, so, but it's coming back to that, oh, I'll stop being the person you don't want me to be. Yeah. Like that is just not the answer ever for anybody. No, no, no. Authenticity. And yet, and yet how familiar answer. is that? Yeah. Yes. I appreciate your reflecting that the empath- empathetically and also just in your own story. Yeah. And here you are with pink hair. And here, and here you are following your heart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm noticing how activated I am in talking about that. I can feel it in mm. my chest. I can feel like a vibration through solar plexus. Wow. That part's a new, that's the journey of like really locating emotion uh, and things in my body is, is first, even first, a lot of people do think of me as like the play guy and play formation and I can be like that. But in terms of locating emotion and being really body aware is a newer journey for me. It's a, it's an awesome one. Because it's both been, um, I think, through contact improv dance, through some of my work in uh, a men's group, Mankind Project, where we do kind of check each other on that, through some of, some of my own sexual changes and growth in the last couple of years. Um, a lot of things have like helped me get reconnected to my body. But the feelings one is still, like it used to drive me nuts and people would be like, I'd say, well, I'm feeling sad. And they'd be like, well, where are you feeling sad? I'd be like, I don't know. I just it's a thought. I feel sad. It's a thought. They're like, well, no, actually, if you're saying you feel sad, that means you're sensing it somewhere. Where do you sense it? Uh, and I'm getting now I'm past the frustrated, uh, avoided stage. And now I'm in the curious stage, I guess. So thank you for stopping to notice it in yourself. <laughs> I, I find it's helpful. Uh, when you say it's new to you, I'd say it's also new to me. Mm. I'd say that it's something that the, that the practice of authentic relating at the level in which I've invested in the training and mm-hmm. to go back to it and use it. And now I'm, you know, assisting and co-leading and mentoring. And it's, I, there's so much to be found there in the somatic work that I wasn't aware of before. And I think it comes from the years and years of suppressing. It's not okay to feel sad. Um, I'm not lovable if I'm not happy. Yeah. So let's not feel those things. Right. (laughs) Because I want to be lovable. 
Mm-hmm. And and you're right, they do start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that seems to be the first place of awareness is some kind of shift physically. And so noticing what you're noticing and and being in safe spaces where you can start to share that. Yes. In, yes. in groups and circles and with peers and loved ones. Um, safe, brave spaces. Yes. Safe, brave spaces. Like the one you're creating <laughs> in yeah, Park Life Collective. Yes. Definitely. Definitely what the, the tone that's trying to be set. Yeah. Is that yeah. mixture of safety, safe enough to stretch. Not so. I used to teach uh, workshops, and I was actually teaching one at the Little Red Studio, which we, you and I talked about earlier. Um, gosh, many years ago, probably ten years ago, and I started off my normal shtick of saying, you know, my goal is to help you all feel uh, safe, and you know, and she stopped me before I said the next thing, and she's like, "I'm not here to feel safe," <laughs> and I was like, "That's a great point." And so we had a, a good conversation that led to the phrase safe enough to stretch. So it's like, you don't want to be so safe that you can't get out of your comfort zone, but you don't want to be so pushed or feel like the person that's holding space isn't experienced enough to um, be able to hold people into brave space. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, sometimes it gets messy. Yeah. It's the good stuff. Yum. It is. This morning I started an honesty salon with uh, Dr. Susan Campbell, who wrote yeah. Getting Real. And we talked about how to create a space that was, there's, there's only eight of us in this intimate salon that's going to go for six weeks. Yeah. And one of the things I brought up is that an intention that I had was to be so open and, and, be in my truth and would this space allow for that would i feel safe enough to be in my truth mm. with them and we talked about that dance of like you know sometimes it's messy and it's gonna happen then yeah have you ever heard of a birth that wasn't messy <laughs> mm-hmm. nice. nice there was something you shared on social media and I wanted to ask you about it. You were talking about the people that you've seen who you acknowledge as, as bringing a lot of vitality and, and transformation into their lives. And it's those people that have courageously chosen to connect to their heart mm-hmm. and to fiercely love themselves enough to honestly admit their deepest desires. Mm-hmm. And when I read that, I think, yes, yes, I, I believe that. And I, and I understand that. And as I thought about it some more, I thought, how do you connect more to your heart? And then that brought me to the question, how do you love yourself more? And then I started to wonder, how do you access your desires? And these are all things that I've been playing with over the last few years. And I wonder how you'd answer those questions. Mm. Well, I, let me answer that. And, and, but first say that the second half of that post, if you remember, 
was saying not just the courageous part of the inner work, but the courageous of the asking for help, for asking for support. And that's the one that I think is also tricky, that getting past this sort of, uh, you know, Lone Ranger, brave hero, I can do it on my own, that a lot of people really think is the way to do it. And so there's sort of a flow between what you said. And I think because in order to hear yourself, to hear and to, to find out what your desires are, it helps to have a safe place to talk about that with people, to be asked difficult questions, to be heard, um, to experience life and go like, oh, I think I want that, but I'm going to go out and do it and find out if that's really an actual desire. One fun thing about my you know, area of expertise, applied improvisation or what I call play formation, you know, a more expanded version of that is that you can test drive the future. You can rehearse. So I could say to you, Sherry, okay, Sherry, in uh, a year from now, we're, we're, it's a year from now. Hey, you remember that interview we had last year? That was so great. I loved how your uh, listeners just really said that it inspired them and I got to meet a few of them. So we get to sort of play into what would it be like if you, or, you know, uh, I remember last year, Sherry, you, you were on, um, uh, you know, you, your, your radio show got picked up and, and Oprah said that she wanted to invite you on her show and, and just talk about your story, you know, like, how would you like that? So part of finding out your desires is being like a kid and kind of pretending a little bit, role play a little bit, see what that would be like. And it's, you can do this with a friend, you can do this with yourself, but you do some time traveling. There's even future parties. So you can actually have a party that takes place in the future. I did this with a, a Biznik. Uh, when I used to work with Biznik, I did, hosted an event where we did a, a future party mm. and everyone pretended it was five years in the future and what had happened in their lives. You can do that. You can just live life and experiment and see what enlivens you. You can be a part, you can work with a coach like myself or a coaching group or just have a co-coaching relationship with a friend if you don't have the money for a professional and just sort of ask each other good questions. Um, but it is about being vulnerable and brave and honest and, you know, being open to seeing, oh, here's a, here's a, here's a good tip. Just talking with a friend of mine about this yesterday. A lot of us think that admitting a desire means acting on it. And so we're afraid, let's say you're married and you're like, God, I really want to sleep with other people. And, and it doesn't, you can, if you can at least take the step of saying that that's just a desire, that doesn't mean you're going to act on it. It might lead you in that direction to realize that maybe you're not monogamous. And so you're going to explore a different lifestyle, but you can both say desires without acting on them and you can say mutually exclusive desires. You can say and have them both be true. I want to be in a committed monogamous relationship and I want to have juicy sexual relationships with other people. You can have both those desires and admit them and then make an educated choice of what you want to actually do with your life, what game you want to play at this time of your life. So that's something that can also help on the desire part of the game. That, I think that was your question, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And I, I love the practice of stating a desire or even a question in such a way that you're not looking for the answer or the desire to be met, but the freedom that comes from being revealed. I was, I was at a play party um, for a friend's birthday before COVID. 
And so it, it turned into a cuddle party. And the woman sitting next to me was um, very lovely. And she had her hair tied up. And I remember this moment where I sort of whispered to her like, I'm curious what it would be like to kiss your neck. <laughs> Great. I, I wasn't asking for permission to kiss her neck. I didn't yeah. want her to say yes or no. I just mm -hmm. wanted my desire to be revealed. Yes. I wanted to be seen in my desire mm -hmm. without putting her on the spot as to whether or not she was going to consent to that actual action. Yes. And it freed me up completely, you know, to just move on to the next feeling I wanted to have. And it was such a delicious experience. And in fact, when the night ended, there was some discussion about various things. And some other people in the room pointed to that as, as modeling, like that that was like, wow, that was a great demonstration of verbalizing and revealing a desire without following through. Mm. And it was one of the first times I'd ever practiced, consciously practiced. Um, that behavior and I, I've definitely done it many times since because it was so rewarding oh that's so great I think what, what you're making me realize is that the tricky part when you're doing it not just to yourself but in a social setting is that it's not just that that all of us are pre-programmed to think that saying a desire means acting on it so if you had instead said like, well, oh, she might still even have actually translated your I'm curious as a request. And I'm curious, actually, did she? No, she um, was right there with me. Like, yeah. it, it was so great. It was almost like I'm noticing a desire to kiss your neck or I'm noticing yeah. a curiosity about yeah. like, how, how good that might feel, right? Like, Yeah. So you kind of have to have almost like a certain level of EQ or communication maturity to be able to do that, you know, to be with people. Cause I think some of you, know, a lot of places, if you'd said that, they'd be like, Hey, get away, you know, but you were in an environment that sounds like it probably had, you know, people that were more mature that could handle that. Yeah. I don't, by the way, when I say mature, I don't mean that in a judgmental people are immature. I just mean there is a certain kind of communication and emotional experience that can handle that kind of stuff and understand it. Yeah. I, I was tracking. Okay, good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so let's dive back into, I'm going to want to weave the conversation about stating your desires because this, we, I'd asked you about how do you connect more to your heart? How do you love yourself more? How do you access your desires? Mm -hmm. And I sort of broke those out of that, that statement that the people that you see bringing more vitality and transformation to the life are the people who are willing, right, to courageously access their heart. And then, mm -hmm. yes, you did go on to say um, the process of uncovering, owning, and moving towards one authentic dream involves humbly asking for support, leaving the illusion of the lone hero behind. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think there's all kinds of things that we can do to enter into the journey of authenticity you know um authenticity authorship and authority 
are all etymologically related. You know, being the storyteller of your life, taking the power, the authority, you know, coming into your sovereignty, this whole journey, anything you can, you know, we talked about it earlier. It's the journey of self-love and healing. And that's all kinds of things. You can do that through medicine work. You can do that through counseling. You can do that through tantric work. You can do that through uh, authentic relating games. You can do that through improv and, you know, the improv games, and the kind of applied improv that I teach, the way I think about improvisation is it's about self-trust. You encounter, when you enter into the unknown space, people are like, oh, I can't do that. Like, how do they be funny? Well, first of all, it's not about being funny. It's about just sort of like trusting yourself and seeing what comes out because you're brilliant. You're a fucking genius. You know, you make up worlds and stories when you go to bed at night. Entire epic journeys happen. That part of you is still present all the time. It's just that there's so much learned and culturated fear and limited beliefs and self-judgment. And so, you know, whatever you can do to come back to start that process of self-trust, um, there's so many paths, you know, what is your, what's the one? So start noticing what is the path that enlivens you? Where's the joy and the fun and the delight? You know, is it freestyle rapping? Is it contact improv dance? Is it sexually is it doing psychedelics? Is it uh, playing improv games? You know, like what's, what's the way that helps you come alive? Which begs the question, how did you come more alive? What was mm. your practice towards more self-trust? Mm, thank you. Well, improv was definitely one of them. I joined the Applied Improv Network, which is a professional network around the world. Actually got involved to kind of help grow it some through their social media sites. And so joining up with peers that had that same passion that, you know, experiential education and improv, um, that was one. Um, a men's group that I've been a part of for 12 years through the Mankind Project helped me do a lot of my own healing, reconciling work in terms of you know, feminine, masculine energies. Um, in the last seven years, um, some experience through entheogens, um, as in mushrooms and things like that, um, that kind of work. Um, I'm, doing a, I'm doing a mushroom ceremony on Sunday. Oh, right on. I, it's that, my favorite of the medicines. Um, have done some ayahuasca, couple ceremonies and wasn't sure if it was for me the first one the second one that's a whole long long story there but um and then you know working with a coach myself finding you know my business has been a practice of coming to see what helps me come alive and, and what helps me serve other people and come alive um and then the process you know as rich and wonderful as my marriage was uh, i love her i think she's an amazing person um, I see that we just came to start to share core values that were different. So that process of individuation and coming into my own sovereignty and was the scariest thing in my life. The biggest, hardest, scariest decision. And you relate, I see. Yep. <laughs> so that was definitely a process of coming to see who I am and take a stand for that. Yeah. And if you could summarize what you take a stand for now. Mm. Is it the same well, as your business mission or what do you stand for as, as Leif Hansen? Mm. 
you know, those five goals, enriching relationships, authentic relationships and, and meaningful work, courageous creativity, deep well-being. I didn't really go into the well-being one, but that's sort of like the, how we actually feel like our health psychologically, physically, spiritually, uh, and lifelong learning and adventure, you know, those are things that I stand for. Like really, I would say that one of my core values that I've come to see stands behind almost all the offers that I do is freedom. And I take a stand, you know, I see, uh, ideologies that are repressive. I was a part of a, a worldview, a religion for about 12 years in my life that did some good things, but I won't go into that's a really long story in my spiritual biography. But anything that that robs people of a sense of volition and agency, you know, I take a stand towards freedom. Uh, technology, I love it. It can be empowering and increase freedom, but boy, can it rob us of freedom. So I take a stand for like, how do we consciously, soulfully use technology? Work that allows us to really feel like we are free and, and be meaningful in our work and, and, you know, take a stand for that versus the oppressive forms of work we do. Relationships that are empowering. You know, my, my new definition of love, loving someone is simple wanting them to fully express to be to wanting their soul to unfold and what that means is sometimes being willing to let go of what that relationship looks like in its form you love someone so much that you might let go of them being your primary partner or being whatever it is because you want them to be themselves and you want them to want that for you that's another expression of where i see that value of freedom that i have yeah. Hello. <laughs> totally. When when my current partner early in our relationship said the thing I want for you most is to always be yourself. Mm. That the only thing that would come between us is you like behaving in some way that you think I want you to behave in. Mm -hmm. Like just stay true to you and mm. that's what I love. Ubu. Oh. You be you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean it's total yeah. liberation. That's awesome. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. Yeah. I feel that. Thank you for your time. I know you've got to run. Mm, my pleasure. Thank you so much for, this was a really, really delightful conversation. You're a great uh, questioner and co-explorer and I loved your stories too. And uh, this was really fun for me. And I hope any of you who are listening out there uh, to this wonderful pink noise show, uh, I hope I get to meet some of you. Uh, the site we were talking about, uh, thesparklife.org, is where the Spark Life Collective is. And I have a few different websites, but um, leafhanson.me is sort of my speaking site, and sparkinteraction.com is sort of my team trainings type stuff. But, you know, find me anywhere, Facebook and hopefully in person somewhere. I'll be sure to include those in the show notes. Yay. Thank you. And Thank I'll you, Sherry. Seeing you online. And yes. we return from Hawaii. Yeah, well, sometime. We'll see when that's going to be. But yes, a few months. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Jerry. Thank Have you. Have a great rest of your day. Well, that wraps up another episode of Pink Noise. And in re-listening to the show, I realized there's so many things to follow up on. I've got at least three books to read about money. And they're these Leela cards that sound like they've got some great playful exercises for you and your friends. And I'll include that link to Leaf's website 
so you can get your own copy. And if you're interested in more meaningful work, enriching relationships, courageous creativity, lifelong learning, or deep well-being, then maybe I'll see you on Spark Life Collective. Until then, keep shining your gold. I'll be back next week with a fellow Canadian from Vancouver Island. Her name is Kim Wilson, and she runs Thrive. She's a healer of mind, body, and spirit. And I can't wait to deep dive with her. Stick around.